0: You're listening to Trav Market Media Network Podcast. This is a pretty good choice if you ask me. Find more podcasts at TravMarketMedia.com. Hi, it's Megan, host of Travel Radio Podcast, a proud member of the Trav Market Media Podcast Network. Would you take a moment now to like, Subscribe and review the podcast. You can also reach me at info at TravelRadioPodcast.com or you could reach the network at TravMarketMedia.com. Travel professional or aspiring professional traveler. I'm so thankful you tuned in. Now, let's dig into where our ears will travel today. Hello and welcome to Travel Radio Podcast. I am your host, Megan Chappa, and today I'm flying solo. Today I'm going to tackle one theme on British travel. This is how I would advise my clients to plan their British travel out by theme because there's really so much to do in the country that you could just spend the whole time driving. So if we can narrow down the types of things that you like to see, then we can really make a consolidated trip that will meet your bucket list demands, expose you to some British culture, and plan an enjoyable trip that's not uh, full of needless commute times. But before I get into that, I want to give a quick shout out and thank you to Kiana Thomas of Travel Agent Tees. She reached out to me on my calendar link, which you are all welcome to do also. If you click in the uh, show notes or you go to TravelRadioPodcast.com or if you're on LinkedIn or mm, let's see, Instagram. There's a link tree there, and there's a link that's to my calendar, and you can schedule a 15-minute pitch if you have a podcast episode idea. And it was a pleasure to speak with her this morning. So thank you, Kiana, for reaching out, and I look forward to recording our Girls Getaway episode shortly. So to roll into today's episode, we are going to talk about things. Uh, one theme on British travel. And actually, this is, I should address this. Yes, I plan travel. I'm not just a host of a podcast. That's actually how I got into this, was to record my travel professional friends expertise, because there were people doing amazing things that when I would talk about the types of trips that they planned at parties, my, you know, party friends, I guess, Would say if I had known that type of travel existed, I would not have taken my last vacation. I would have rather taken the one you're talking about. So that's how the podcast got started. When I was living in England for the last three years, I farmed out all of my clients to my other travel professional colleagues. And so, um, Now that we're back in the States, I am actually about to sign a contract again, but I will mostly be planning um, UK travel because I love it. I'm passionate about it. I know a lot about it. And I think that that's where I can really offer myself as a resource to travelers. So of course, none of that is happening now because of travel bans, quarantines, and that sort of thing. But uh, British travel is really something you should plan far in advance anyway, because uh, it is expensive, but it's worth it. So Without further ado, let's talk today on one of the themes that I like to, you know, go through with my clients, and that is English royalty. And a lot of this is consolidated in the southeastern corner of the country. Which, to give you a comparison, you know, the United Kingdom is an island, and so it is quite small in that sense. Um, but it actually, you know, we're going to talk about a region today. That's if I'm going to put a map in the show notes. And we're going to talk about a region that's the southeastern kind of corner of the country, of the United Kingdom, and is going to represent like the size of Maryland, Virginia, and New Jersey combined. And we're going to spend, I think, seven to 10 days just in that little area doing just, you know, kind of more recent English royalty. And by more recent, I mean like from the 1500s up, because this country has been developed for so long and worked by so many groups of peoples. There are so many ways to travel it, but we, you know, anyway, we're just going to go with English English royalty today, and we're going to start, actually, we're going to fly into Gatwick Airport, and Gatwick is south of London. It is about a half hour from the coast, so we're going to fly into Gatwick, and we are going to start our English royal tour in the town, or city, I should say, of Brighton, England, and Brighton is on the coast. The beach is... It's, I'm going to say like, well, I have small hands. So like carny-sized hands or maybe a child's fist, you know, like that, um, size rocks. So it's not a sandy beach, but it is a lovely beach. And the water can be quite clear and nice. And anyway, that's where the dipping happened, you know, where you would go to take the waters. It was something that royalty did just about the time of the Revolutionary War. And specifically, that brings me to... Uh, King George IV and that is why we are in Brighton. So Brighton will not be found, Brighton Pavilion will not be found on a list of official royal residences because it was actually sold to the city of Brighton. Um, Queen, hmm, Queen Victoria I think sold it because it it didn't suit her family and it didn't suit her family because the thing was built with like two bedrooms because it was really meant to be the ultimate bachelor pad. And now a quick break from our sponsor. The, so jo- King George, he built it as like, you know, he went there because his doctor said, "Okay, you fatty, you need to go have some, you, know, you need to take the waters. It will be good for you." Well, he kind of fell in love with this up-and-coming kind of shishy place for the rich and famous of the day. And so he he bought a little cottage, but then he built his own cottage, which was not so great. It was like, "Okay, you know, it was okay." But then he built this palatial carriage house and training facility for 62 horses, and people started making fun of him like, dude, your horses live better than you do. And so it was kind of like challenge accepted. So he built the Brighton Pavilion. The Brighton Pavilion is a take-on, and I say a take-on because if you know anyone that's been to India, they would say this does not represent Indian architecture. It's like how we would draw, how you would imagine an elementary school kid would envision a city you know, an Arabian city or something that comes out of, you know, Aladdin with these big minarets on top. It's, it's, it's very cool, but it is not, you know, accurate in any way. So that's what it looks like. And inside it only has something like two bedrooms because, you know, he wanted to party with you, but you weren't staying over. That's just kind of how he rolled. So he he had his chamber and his, you know, servants, I guess, had their own, like maybe one butler had their own, place to sleep and then there wasn't really any space for everything all these other huge rooms were for entertaining and the cool thing about this place is that you know he wanted it to be a real experience so as you walk in to the pavilion these rooms are not very ornate they're nice they're classy but they get more and more fancy as you go through the building and that's the experience he wanted his guests to have and the dining hall is incredible in that it has this dragon chandelier hanging from the ceiling and he used to have this banquet table laid out with these silk tablecloths and he would actually have um, decorations drawn onto the table in like you would imagine it was royal, royal icing that fancy white icing that gets hard and then he would put sugared uh, sugared fruits on there. He would put gems on there, and the idea was that once the meal was over, you got to eat your reward. Like you would get to pick off the sugar and the and the sugared fruits, the candied fruits, and if you were a lady, you got to enjoy the gems that put out before you. And so it was really this extravagant living facility. And at one point, actually, a strong storm blew in when this building was kind of left to disrepair shortly before the town took charge of it. Um, And this dragon chandelier fell and lodged itself on the floor. And so they had to do this whole reworking and restoration of this place. And it was stripped of all of its... royal furniture by Queen Victoria as she left because she didn't want, you know, she thought they could better be used other places. So most of the things that are in there, if they are actual royal, you know, pieces of furniture, et cetera, are on loan from the crown. They're not, they don't actually belong to the pavilion. So it's it's a really neat place to go and they are very kind to children. And it's uh, not on the map because it's kind of defunct. It's not actually part of. uh, It's not. Doesn't belong to the crown anymore. But it's it's really neat. They're really nice to children, and they have a children's trail there that uh, follows George the cat. And George the cat was kind of like he was. He was a. I want to try like a stray, but he would hang around the kitchen. And if you're a cook, this kitchen is to die for. But this cat would hang around. And he would get in the rooms, and he'd like put himself to sleep on the furniture, and so. And he was a fatty, so they called him George. You know, probably after King George the Fourth. And um, there's a trail that follows George the Cat, and you can in every room there is a stuffed cat hidden, and the kids can find it while you. You know, make your way around the pavilion. So there's something for them to do. There's something for you to do, and there's an audiobook that they can listen to that follows George through the through the pavilion. So that's pretty fantastic. And um, and then you can also go see the the stables. There's an art museum there that I don't recommend. Um, it's just not that interesting for children. And also, um, they're just their idea of what you might find appropriate for young children, and what you as a parent might think is appropriate for your children, are probably not in sync. Um, so just an FYI that that's probably, you know, save your 12 pounds or whatever it is. And, um, and that's that. There is also a tea house. Most of these palaces and whatnot have tea houses in them where you can have, um, you know, you can have several levels of tea, just cream tea, which is your uh, scone. They say scone with tea or even coffee. And then, of course, you'd have your clotted cream and jam. And they also have um, hot chocolates for the children, which is very nice. And it's a nice sitting area. I'm not sure how they're operating that now. You'll have to check that out at the time of your travel. But it's a nice place to have a rest because it is, you know, you could walk around for quite some time. And It's good to have a refreshment in like a kind of palatial setting. And then um, the other thing is that if you go at Christmas time, they have a fantastic, huge, it's like a, I think it is a sleigh, and you can have your picture taken in it. And actually, the guides that are there on hand, will take pictures for you of your family with the big Christmas tree in the sleigh with the lush blankets all over you. And it makes for a great Christmas picture. So I think they start that in October. So anyway, check check out Brighton. Spend a couple days there. That's the, that's the pavilion aspect. Um, and the other thing you might do if you spend a couple days there is venture up into the town, which you can easily walk. And it is an artist community. There's lots of art happening. There's a really vibrant LGBTQ community there that has a lot of events. And also, they have lots of antique stores. And these streets make no sense. You will get lost. It's fine. It's not that big. You'll be fine. It's not dangerous. It's great. So, there's a lot of shopping to do in the area. They also have a fantastic aquarium for children. That you should check out um, because it's kind of a one-way flow. You can kind of turn your kids loose in there, essentially. I mean, of course, keep distance during these COVID times, but it's it it's the right size for young children, and there's a lot to do in there. And then there's of course like um like a I don't know like a gaming pier or you know with carnival rides and that sort of thing. So that's Brighton for you in a nutshell. You can spend two or three days there, but then from there we are going to catch transportation up to london and in london starts your traditional you know everything you would think about as far as royal tours go the, and there are so many right in this area so you're going to camp out in london for a couple days and you're going to kind of day trip it from there and we're going to start with buckingham palace and this is you know their website claim is this is the centerpiece of britain's constitutional monarchy monarchy it you know everything about it, it whatever what am I going to do? Contradict that? It's true. They have a lot of palaces, but this is this is the big one, right? This is what we think about in the movies with the big gate that they drive through. This is that palace. And uh, a lot happens here. Uh, you can do tours, but not all of the time. The tours actually only happen, um, I think, in the summer times when the royal family is traveling. But you got to check because, you know, we're in a crazy time of COVID, but this is a great place to experience a lot of things, and this is where the changing of the guard happens. The changing of the guard actually happens at a lot of the palaces, maybe even all of the palaces. I can't say that for sure because I haven't been to all of them. But but that's what you can see here. And uh, yeah, there you go. That's that. Uh, we're gonna also do a day trip to Kensington Palace um, because you know you're gonna be doing a lot of walking, and these things you got to break it up. You got to do your palace, then you got to have tea. And then you gotta chill out at a cafe for a little bit and maybe have, um, you know, a gin and tonic because that is the thing to do in England. And then the next day you tackle another palace. Otherwise, I think it would just be too much. So, Kensington Palace, this is where, you know, modern royals live. This is where Kate lives with their their brood. And um, they are known as the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge if you know them more, you know, under that title. But this is their residence. And that's where you can see them. Also, at Kensington Palace this is where you can see um, some of Diana's dresses on display and at, at least at the current time which you know it was kind of like a fashion tribute to her and they are stunning so that's at Kensington Palace now we've had two days in London and you should also you could you could you know you could cram this in if you wanted to but again you there, everything's going to be ticketed time so If you don't have a travel planner, you really should get one because if you want to knock all these things into one day, you probably could. It would be a bit of a hustle to get your time ticket entries right. But you could go to the Tower of London also, all on the same day. And at the Tower of London, this is where you are going to see the crown jewels. You're going to meet the yeoman warders. And also, there's like, you know, you could feed the ravens if you wanted to, but that's just okay. Well, there you go. But the Tower of London has a longer history than just guarding the jewels. At one point, it was a zoo. Um, it w- it's been used as a prison. There used to be pubs in it for the Yeoman wardens that lived there to go to. Um, and then they'd have to lock up the they literally lock it up at night. And uh, they would have to kick everybody out of the pubs, et cetera. So that's, that's these guys. But one thing that these guys participated in with— um, Well, when we went to the ceremony, it was actually done with the Royal Navy, but there is an event that, I mean, it's usually done with, I think, the Army, but we happened to be there on a Navy day. You have to get tickets. You can only do it with tickets. It's called the Ceremony of the Keys. And you have to do it. They, they release the tickets six months at a time. So you have to go and watch. And I'll put I'll put a link in. And because you have so far to plan, this might actually be doable. But the ceremony of the keys is actually when they lock up the Tower of London. And you meet about a half hour before they lock up the tower. And then they bring you inside so that you can watch the exchange of... Um, you know the exchange between the military and the yeomen they turn it over to each other and they verify that they're who they say they are and I have to tell you we were not expecting as much yelling as there was so it was a little bit theatrical but it was a lot of fun and I think you should experience it if you have the time to plan for it I don't think I have any pictures because you're I don't think you're allowed to take pictures in there but if I have them I will post them in a blog post um, that you'll see in the notes because my new host does not support imagery, which is a shame. But uh, anyway, I'll post those and you can see them. So that's um, the Tower of London Ceremony of the Keys, which they say is the longest continual military ceremony to be performed on the planet. So it's something to participate in if you have interest. It's exciting. The kids will love it. There is a lot of shouting, but they'll love it. Let us not forget Windsor Castle. From London, we're going to do one more day trip to Windsor Castle, and it's quite a big property. You could actually spend some time there, including um, right at the back entrance is the wonderful village of Windsor with some great pubs. So that's a uh, that's a great place to have lunch afterwards and you can just smell all the restaurants when you're walking around it's going to drive you crazy because there's no actual place to eat in windsor castle so windsor castle is the official weekend residence of the queen how do you know if she is at home well the flag will be raised if the flag is a half mast. she is not there and you will have access to more rooms if she is home You will actually only be able to enter part of the property because she is living in the other portions of it. And you will also get a, you know, reduced rate entrance ticket, if you will. So, Windsor Castle, it is uh, the oldest and largest, I think, is their claim castle in the world. And then additionally, this is where St. George's Chapel is, which is where Megan and Harry got married. And don't let chapel fool you. That is a very uh, minimized description of this building. It is, uh, it's is—it's a big church. It's a very ornate church. It's got a lot of little, sh- I don't want to say tr- shrines, but like little offshoot chapels within it. You can actually attend a service there. And, you know, p- please be Respectful of people that are actually attending. This is a the church that a lot of people in the town of Windsor actually attend So be mindful of that be respectful of that while you are walking through it can get quite crowded There's a lot to see in there and a lot of people trying to take pictures, but it's a beautiful place to to visit now When we were there you could actually see Meghan Markle's wedding dress on display Which was surprisingly plain. I actually thought it was kind of boring But, I mean, that's what they had going for her. I I, I don't know. But since the breakup of the royal family, if you will call it that, interestingly, now it is Princess Beatrice's dress that's on display. And um, that is actually a beautiful dress, and I would be interested in seeing that. But, um, yes, so Windsor Castle, you can take a tour of that. Uh, It has a lot of, you know, armory displays. There's some china on display. Largely, uh, it's, you know, large rooms full of old stuff. And then... um, you know, there's gift shop, of course, with my, which my children are always interested in. And then there is St. George's Chapel. This is also, I'm not going to get these details right, so I won't describe it entirely, but this is where the Order of the Garter is, and this is sort of like, you know, an old boys club of, you know, defending chivalry, and you have to be invited into this group, and then you're a lifelong member. And um, anyway, that that's also housed here. You can also see a changing of the guard here, which is uh, inside of the castle grounds. It is a smaller event than if you were to go to Buckingham Palace, but that also means that you can get a picture with the guards uh, and not wait as long and see it in a much more up close and personal, you know, kind of way. Although now with COVID, who knows exactly what's going on? This is also, um, you know, as with all of these things, you are going to want to buy a ticket in advance because... You have, there's no, like, you're not really waiting inside. There's a, it's going to be an extensive line outside if you do not have tickets. If you have tickets ahead of time, you can just blow past that line, go up to the counter and walk right through. You're going to go through a metal detector. Don't be surprised. There's a lot of that going on these days and it will apply here. So that is Windsor Castle. Again, outside the gate, you're right in the city, like the village of Windsor. There are great pubs. You should take advantage of that. There's some shopping in the winter Christmas time season. There's an ice skating rink and kind of, you know, like little amusement rides set up for the kids. And it's really a fantastic town just to walk around in. So that's Windsor. It's probably just a day trip from London, um, but it's worth seeing. And, yeah, it's a good Part of you know this royal English theme that we're going on that you really should see because you're seeing the palaces, Buckingham Palace, etc. But you really should get to the castle portion, the fortress portion of the Queen's life. A side note about Windsor Castle is it's a little bit like the airport in the sense that they do not like abandoned luggage or abandoned strollers. Just because it's a stroller doesn't mean that it's not a threat. We left our stroller. We uh, particularly favor the Bob for our adventures. And uh, we left it in a place that was, um, we couldn't find stroller parking, but we found uh, like handicap parking, if you will. And we parked, there was no wheelchairs there because the building's not largely wheelchair accessible, but we parked the stroller there and then it was missing and we had to go to security and claim it. And then they said, oh, but if you would have just asked, you could have parked it inside the building. And then that's what we did once we headed back. But they're a stickler for rules, so make sure you obey them at Windsor Castle. From London, I want to head north to Sandringham House. And to get there, it's about a three and a half hour car ride or train ride. There's some options there and a bus too. But um, you're going to pass over Cambridge. You could even stop off of Cambridge, see the university. It's quite beautiful and it's even older than Oxford. So it's, I mean, the city is older. It's, it's nice. You should check it out. And there's a great, I mean, there's great open spaces everywhere, but there really are some excellent ones there, but that's, that's not on the English Royal Tour. So we're going to not talk about Cambridge at the moment. Right now we're going to move to Sandringham House, which I mean, house is a little light. It's more like, it's not quite palace but it's it's a country manor it's it's a country house if you will and uh, it's it's a state it's an, it's an estate so this is uh, it's considered to be you know probably the most famous stately home in Norfolk which is the area and it's actually quite industrious they have you know everything from pick your own fruit in their orchards to um, like a sawmill so they're really they've really reinvented, reinvented themselves to be um, you know self-sustaining if you will but this is the Royals Country Home, and it's on the coast. It's beautiful. You could spend a couple of days up here checking things out. There's also, you know, a little tidbit for the kids here. The beaches in this area are, are great for hunting like shark's teeth and bivalves. So it gets a little swampy. You have to watch the tide tables, but there is some fossil hunting to be done. So maybe a state house, gardens, fruit picking for you, but then some fossil hunting for them. So it's a great place to spend a couple days with the family. So from Norfolk and Sandringham, I want to either, if you took a day trip, we're going to go back to London, maybe we stay for a day, check another palace off our list, you could go to Frogmore House maybe, but you could also, from here, I'd like to, from London, go west by about an hour and a half, driving, a little less if you're taking the train. The train goes right into the heart of the city, it's fantastic, the bus goes right into the heart of the city, also fantastic, they have Wi-Fi, they're not not too expensive, but We're going to Oxford, of which I am nostalgic, and people gloss over Oxford because they think it's just a university city, but you might not know that there is Oxford castle and prison there, and it says in prison because it was a women's prison, I believe, until like the late 80s, and when you go in and see the facilities, you're going to be like, oh my gosh, this is for real prison life. Gross. But um, it was originally a castle, and well, more like a fortress, but it was... Where Empress Matilda was held captive for some time and she escaped wearing white through the snow across the Thames, where she eventually escaped to um, you know go off and marry another husband come back and try to claim the throne, blah, 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 all this sort of thing. But Empress Matilda is not often mentioned in English history that, you know, we Americans hear of, but she was one of the heirs to the throne and potentially, you know, the first queen of England until, you know, you know, this whole upset, that there was a civil war, blah, blah, blah. But um, she's one of the daughters of King Henry the I of England, and um, it's it's worth seeing It's great for kids. There's a lot of interactive things that happen here. And in the Castle Courtyard is a series of excellent restaurants. And at one point, you can actually put one of your children in the stocks and then throw stuffed rats at them. Now, you must actually volunteer to be the designated person put in the stocks. And some lady volunteered her... uh, kind of outspoken a little bit rambunctious son in there and then she yelled pelt him and we did and those things are dusty so that kid got a face full of stuffed rats and castle dust so super gross but a lot of fun and we all uh, we all took pictures and enjoyed it together so anyway you can look forward to uh pelting your children with stuffed rats at oxford prison or apples or rotten cabbage or whatever you may have so that is uh the oxford prison And then I recommend doing that in the morning. You can also climb the Castle Hill. And the hill is actually a covered well, which was a protected well um, in case they were ever under siege. And it's still, you know, it's still there. It still has water in it. but But that's the top of the hill. And it offers a pretty good view of the city. And actually the top of the castle, which you can climb to the very tallest point, gives you another great look over the city. And there's there's like three observation platforms in the city that are widely accessible. And uh, this one is one, of, is, is one and it's an, a good one. And then the one that's not accessible, that if you can get up, if you know a fellow at Modelin, you have to know a fellow, and you have to know someone who is trained to use the key. You If you can get to the top of the Maudelin Tower... That's an amazing, and it's the highest observation tower, but it's not publicly accessible. But uh, if you can find a fellow and get an inn, you can get up to the top of the tower. Otherwise, Oxford Castle and Prison is a great place to do that. There is a gate code. They give it to you with your admission tickets, and they change it. So you anyway, you have to do that. But it's cool. It's great. It's a great place to take pictures. It is a little windy at the top, but worth going up. Not a huge hike. You can totally do it in sneakers. It can be muddy. So just be warned of that. Now that's what I would recommend you do in the morning. In the afternoon, I would recommend going to the museums because they are um, large, they have high ceilings, the collections are incredible, and they are—they'll be cool because it, you know a lot of Oxford, a lot of England, I should say, or the UK is not air conditioned. So if it's a hot day, this is the place to be—is to be in the museums. So and they're all free of charge. So please make a donation at the door, but they're you know, you cannot believe such incredible things are available for, you know, you to learn about all with children's trails also that you can hunt all around the museum. It's like a real life seek and find. Um, yeah, all available for free. So take advantage of that. And then I would recommend going to Jericho for dinner, just a personal FYI, but Jericho is the place to be. It's a little suburb, but it's, you know, a suburb of Oxford is a five minute walk. So get to it. Now, After you've had a fantastic night rest in one of the local hotels or bed and breakfasts or something along those lines, you're going to go north to Woodstock. And Woodstock is a little village also once home of Chaucer. You will see Chaucer's Lane, some fantastic cottages back there that have had the privilege of going in because friends lived there. Again, you can't believe that you can touch history like this, but England is so accessible. So from Chaucer's Lane or whatever it actually backs up to a much bigger property which you will find yourself on you won't find yourself on Chaucer's Lane actually don't drive down there it's treacherous and it's like one lane it's got a hairpin turn don't do it rather just find yourself at Blenheim Palace you can take a bus from Oxford right to Blenheim it's probably a 15 minute drive lets you off right at the gate and you can just walk in pay your price pay your admission ticket and go on in and Blenheim Palace is Actually not home to, like, you know, Her Royal Highness or any of the, um, you know, I guess top-tier royalty, but it is home of gentry and the Duke of Marlborough. And this was gifted by Queen Anne to the Duke of Marlborough because of his victory over the French forces on this very property. And the, the original Duke of Marlborough had very ornate and, um, what should I say, he had very expensive taste. Of which drove his wife crazy because it was so just excessive, and when you are in some of like the official palaces of um, of the crown, then you ver- uh, go and see Blenheim Palace. I mean, Blenheim Palace feels like a palace. And Blenheim Palace, you will notice and you will be able to identify from a lot of movie scenes. Um, There's a point where, you know, maybe your children have seen uh, Gulliver's Travel with Jack Black. This is where he's standing over, you know, he's in the courtyard and he's looking down at the people. He's in his red t-shirt. This is that scene. Mission Impossible, they pull up to the ball and it's the big columns. Same place. Loads of movies have been filmed here. And I mean, you can, it's just the best. It is just the best of the best. Inside, pretty ornate. I wouldn't feel comfortable putting my feet up on that furniture. But um, anyway, this palace um, is a palace for the sake of visiting a palace. And I have to say, I mean, it, it spoils you. When this is in your backyard, which it was for us, we had a membership, we would go very often. I mean, it just ruins the rest of the of the palaces and, and castles for you because it's so uh, it's spectacular. Anyway, they have a brilliant children's garden. It's called the Pleasure Garden. It has a hedgerow maze. There are a lot of activities. A couple um, playgrounds there. One is a, a castle themed playground. It's shaded. It's um, actually in the old kitchen uh, garden area, so you'll see the the walls of this um, the brick walls of this building. The inner of the building sorry of the courtyard have all these little pock marks in them and that's where the trees actually rooted themselves into the wall and this was the kitchen garden where they would you know pluck a f- piece of fruit off the wall and then turn it into a dish for the duke's household so it's a cool area but and that's in the shade then there's the hedgerow maze which is very much out in the open it'll take you a half hour like plan a half hour and sunscreen um, they do a lot of events here Easter, Halloween, they do Alice's Day here where you can um, hunt for the white rabbit with Alice of Alice in Wonderland. It's fa- They have fantastic activities for children. Additionally, there is a butterfly garden on site and the butterfly garden is, um, it's not, a, it's like a greenhouse and it's not a huge area and it's a one-way, it should be a one-way path. People abuse it, but um, it's probably not open to the public. But they have little birds in there, and they they receive butterflies every week to release in here. And it's incredible. They're everywhere. They flutter through the sky. They might land on your children. It's a really neat experience. And then if one's dead, you might just see a little bird scurry up, snag it, and run off into the bushes. It's a neat experience. But it is, for dads, you're going to have to take your fleece off. It's hot in there. So, FYI. So, that's Blood and Palace. Excellent photo-taking opportunities. If you walk around the back, there's formal gardens and a lake. They do a triathlon there each year. They do, I mean, all of these places have these kind of big events. Maybe not the official residences of the Crown. Sandringham House does some events, but these, the other, you know, kind of country houses that are owned by Dukes, duchesses, Lords, that sort of thing, they all have these wonderful events like Blenheim has a jousting competition that happens everywhere. They have a food exhibition. They have um, like a classic car day. They uh, just wonderful, wonderful things that happen on the property. So and then and then there's also like all these walking trails go back to a waterfall. They have a fantastic rose garden. This is just a place like if you want to do engagement photos, this is totally the place for you to do it. And there, I feel like there's always a moment where you can get mostly just you, and a spectacular background there's always a place like that on this property so if you wanted to go in the fall and do a photo shoot for your christmas card this is your location all right now one other thing to note about Blenheim palace is that if you are also a world war ii like history buff and i will do a world war ii themed like battles kind of uh, locations itinerary at some point I'll do a themed episode, but if you are a, you know, a a British history, World War II history junkie, this is a location of significance for you because this is also the birthplace of Sir Winston Churchill, who has a very storied past, and they have an excellent exhibition here to include his artwork. A lot of people didn't know that Winston Churchill was a painter, but it was kind of one of the ways that he blew off steam as he was mulling over you know, war strategy. And, they, and he used to actually paint under, you know, a pseudoname and then put his, you know, enter into art competitions and he would be so pleased when he'd sell a painting for 30 pounds when he was a millionaire. I mean, the equivalent of a millionaire. And uh, anyway, they have 14 of his paintings and they have something like 40 family paintings from other members of the household. And it's a really neat exhibition. And this, yeah, and they have, Anyway, I'm not going to give it away. If you like organs, if you like libraries, if you like history, if you like flowers, Blenheim Palace, half hour from Oxford, it must be on your list and you can get there by bus. So that's great. Or call 001 Taxi. They'll charge you 20 bucks and drive you up there. You get the car all to yourself. There's a tip for you. Oh, and one last fun fact about Blenheim Palace. Look up lady randolph churchill or jenny jerome randolph i will post an excellent episode of the history chicks podcast all about her and there's an excellent excellent biography on her about how they called them the dollar heiresses or the dollar princesses and they were women uh, american women that weren't quite accepted into american high society because they were new money their dads were in trade but they had money and they were looking for a husband. So they went to Britain and they shopped around for the guy with the highest title that they could find. And she ended up in the Churchill family. And the Churchills were really hoping that her daddy's newspaper money would be able to float the estate and do some of the repairs that it needed. So while you're walking around Blenheim and touring the rooms, just watch for the name Jenny Jerome or Lady Jenny Jerome Churchill. Or simply called Jenny. And you'll be able to see this neat... You know, melding of American culture and British culture. And just know that we Americans had a part in keeping this estate afloat, which is exciting because I love this estate. And from there, that's going to conclude, you know, our royal theme on British travel, at least English royalty. Um, It's not a comprehensive list by any means. But it is probably 7 to 10 days worth of an itinerary that you could use to plan your client's travel or to plan your own travel. And I will eventually get to posting a, uh, a blog entry on TravelRadioPodcast.com where I will post um, images and links to some tours that are available to you that I trust. Um, so that's what I know, and I'd love to hear from you. If you enjoyed it or if you hated it, that's fine too. If you go to the link in bio, it probably takes you to my link tree, which has a link to the Calendy. App, which you can schedule a 15-minute appointment with me to custom and discuss any ideas that you have. Otherwise, please email me at info at or I'd love to connect with you on LinkedIn, Instagram, wherever you find it. And as always, please share with a friend because, yeah, it's a compliment to me. And, that would, yeah, that's just really nice. So, And uh, if you think it is worth it, you think that I earned it, of course, a review is always helpful. And it helps the bean counters in the podcast directories know that this show is worthy of promoting to other people. And they will display it when someone says, you know, royalty or English travel, something like that. So this is Megan Chappa of the Travel Radio Podcast saying thank you for listening. Thanks for being in touch and have a great day. You're listening to a Trav Market Media Network podcast, a podcast designed for you, the travel professional. Is there something you would like to hear or do you have feedback? Please write to us at podcasts at TravMarketMedia.com. Again, that's podcasts with an S at com.